Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving his wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. And finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Well, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God and being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed. And in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. So I, I really love uh, conversations about faith, which I guess shouldn't be surprising given my vocation, but there it is. I really like the conversations about faith that come up kind of spontaneously or, or even in a, in a Sunday school class, the different rabbit trails that we can go down. Uh, folks here ask some of the most wonderful questions about faith and, and the Bible and and life, and, and you also share some of the most amazing insights that you have in those things. This happens a lot in Sunday school, doesn't it? These questions and uh, the sharing. And you all ask and you share your thoughts and stories with such openness and with this hope-filled curiosity. You ask your questions and there's this eagerness to really feel that there's something true about this mysterious thing that we call faith. And I love it because those questions I know come from a trusting relationships, a place of love. Jesus was really good at building relationships and community around questions and stories. 
What is significantly less fun is being grilled about the mysteries of faith and religion by someone who I know is not interested in a relationship as much as making their point or scoring some points in an argument. I met, um, I met James during the first semester of his freshman year at Emory. He came to a Presbyterian campus ministry event that I was hosting that included free pizza which is my most reliable evangelism tool. James was a self-proclaimed agnostic. He, he, he liked to stick his finger in the eye of people of faith, including atheists, who he believed were just as wrong to declare there was absolutely no God as those of us who believed and believe that there is a God. James's thought was, who knows and who cares? James, however resistant to faith, could not resist pizza. And so James sat on the opposite side of the room from me with a paper plate piled high with pepperoni pizza. And he looked me up and down and he said, thanks for the pizza. I don't believe any of this stuff. What stuff? Church stuff. Okay, I said, okay. Well, it does matter to some of the folks who are here in this Presbyterian campus ministry event. It is what brings us together. And we don't all believe the same stuff, but we do believe in welcoming everybody. And that's because we believe that's what Jesus taught us, Jesus the Christ showed us how to welcome everybody and to share our pizza and to share our pizza. Okay. He said, okay, okay. Well, thanks for the pizza. But then James proceeded to grill me about how anyone could believe that Jesus came back from the dead or could have done any of those miracles. James was definitely more interested in making his point than he was in a relationship. The Sadducees were more interested in catching Jesus in a debate than they were in a meaningful conversation about the resurrection, which it says right up front, they didn't even believe in. They don't seem interested in Jesus's chief concern, a relationship. The Sadducees were trying to trap Jesus with a question about an ancient law from Moses' day. In case you missed it, women were the property of their husbands, and if their husband died, they didn't inherit their husband's property, they became the property of their husband's brother, and so on down the line. It was called leveret marriage. It sounds very strange to us today, but in in ancient Jewish patriarchal society, it actually ensured that a woman wouldn't be abandoned after her husband died, but would have a family to care for her. But leveret marriage was no longer practiced by Jesus's time, which is about a thousand years after Moses's time. The Sadducees question then was purely hypothetical. It was only intended to get Jesus into a debate with little relevance to their day about something that they didn't even believe in. It does show us something about the way these, I think we can safely say men, 
still viewed women. Even in the afterlife that they didn't believe in, a hypothetical woman could not escape eternal life bound to one or more dead dudes. Jesus knew the question was not only a trap, but also grandstanding. He could tell that they were trying to make him and his teaching about the hope of the resurrection look silly. He saw their play, and then he elevated the whole game. They asked what would happen if this woman, when this woman finally died. Died, Jesus says. Nobody dies. She entered the next life, and there she doesn't belong to nobody. She is finally free. Only people in this crazy world could possibly function in a system where human beings are property passed down like great grandmother's coffee table. No, 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 not in the next age. That woman is finally free. She is finally able to live as God intended, as God's child, like an angel. He goes on. Our God, our God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God that we share, brothers, is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus stepped right out of their trap and into their common ground, and he shared some remarkably good news with them, saying to our God, brothers, to him, all of them are alive. And I can just see him gesturing to the crowd all around him as he says, all of them are alive. Not only did he disarm the rhetorical grenade that they threw by sidestepping the debate, he painted this beautiful image of eternity as a place filled with life, with freedom, where all are elevated as angels. But not just eternity, he said. This image of God's eternity is God's hope for us now. Jesus said, now is God. Now God is not the God of the dead. Now God is God of the living. Now, now all are alive. And I, I don't know why the lectionary leaves out what happens next. It says, then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you've spoken well. And then they didn't ask him another question. Jesus's vision was so beautiful that the Sadducees were left marveling. The folks who were there to write it all down couldn't even describe what they saw. Maybe they were all just left longing for what Jesus had just promised them. And there is the door to relationship. There is such power in our community of disciples when we follow Jesus's example and become agents of hope in a world that is so full of division rather than falling into the traps of conflict and divisiveness and these rhetorical gotcha games that we see played all over the place. Now, that doesn't mean that we shut up to keep the peace. It means that we speak up to bring peace into the world now. 
to speak of and work to create life where others just keep telling these old, old stories about death. To bring freedom where others can only imagine bondage to old, irrelevant systems. So many of the systems that are at work today that we seem so trapped in are systems that are plagued by misogyny and white supremacy. We, as Jesus followers, are needed to cast a new vision of hope and of freedom and of new life for tomorrow starting today. And in this new vision, we all look like angels. We can't die anymore. Today, the members of Christ Lutheran Church will vote on the 2020 budget proposed by the church council. A budget is more than something to guide our expenses. It tells a story of hope. It is our vision and our commitment to what we believe God's mission to be in and through us. And this proposed budget expresses our strong commitment to the continued use of this church as a place of healing and wholeness for our community. The vast majority of our expenses will go to the continued operation of the health ministries and the expanded mission of our dental clinic to provide preventative care. We also hope to respond to God's blessing of a growing number of children in our midst by providing funding for programming and staff and outreach to children and youth. We are blessed with mission partners and grantors who help us provide this ministry. But as a congregation, we have a role to play in, in being a community of healing and wholeness, which we are here. Those of, of us who have the ability to give of our finances uh, help sustain the missions here. If financial giving is something that you are able to do, I invite you to join in that commitment. It's, it's a priority in our own household. Time and talent are the other ways that you may be called to be a part of what God is doing here. No less needed, no less significant. We need you to help make this Sunday worship happen, to consider being a welcoming face as a greeter, an usher, scripture reader this year, can help us continue to provide this kind of worshipful environment or to help serving communion, or to clean up after worship as a part of the altar guilt. You may also feel called to help provide snacks after worship. If you do so feel called, there are always sign-ups right out in the hallway. These are all important ways that you can be part of God's providing of us a new vision of community alive with hope and creating a place where people can find the belonging and the love that every human being deserves to feel. Do you remember that college student, James, I was talking about at the beginning? So he came to our campus ministry. He was clearly hungry for, for pizza, but not just pizza. He didn't know how hungry he was for what, what came next. Our group had this tradition of sharing highs and lows. Each student was given the full attention of all of the other students in the group as they opened up about whatever they wanted to, whatever uh, was a great joy for them that week. And those were often 
sublime and more often silly. Uh, They also shared what they were struggling with, which was a lot. As the group shared that day that James was there, it became clear to me that James had never had someone, never, I think, had a single person show him so much interest in his entire life, to show that much interest in his heart. Here were people who could not only relate to him, but wanted to, who genuinely cared about him. It took about two weeks, and James was so on board that he took on a leadership position. He became an anchor in that group. Uniquely open-hearted, he was. He still is, working on a PhD at MIT. And after I left that campus ministry to come here to Christ Lutheran, I found out that James took on the responsibility of orienting my successor to the group, making sure they understood what highs and lows were and how important it was to our shared life there. That's the kind of community that Jesus builds wherever he is. That's the type of community that, that we have here across generations, across experiences, across cultures. And I don't know if, if, if you know this, but this doesn't happen very many places in our world. I'd say it's a miracle. Jesus called us into this community, and it is a place where we learn about God's grace, where we remind each other over and over and over again of God's grace, and where we learn again and again about our sacred identities as children of God, a place where we can find belonging in people who show genuine care about our lives because they want to, because they're interested community of disciples is a community of those who know ourselves to be on our way to becoming like angels, messengers of God's good news, bearers of the blessings of God's active, intimate involvement in each of our lives. Thank you for making that the case here every day, and especially on these holy Sundays. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.